Dr. Lund, am I saying that correctly? Uh, Lund, yeah. Lund, that's... okay, cool. Yeah, I guess there's not really another way to <laughs> pronounce that. Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> even, even a short name could be pronounced a lot of different ways. Yeah. You probably find that as well. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, I have like 50 different pronunciations for a three-letter name. But um, yeah. I have the problem with J sometimes too. Wow. How do you? Okay, I, th- that's the one. It's like you literally cannot mess that up. But okay. Well, if I go to Sweden, I'm yay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and, if I, ah. and if I go to uh, to uh, France, I'm J. Yeah. So in Sweden, it's just a good yoke. Yeah. Nice. Damn. Okay. Well, shit. I guess avoid Sweden or prioritize Sweden. I don't even know. You just have to. You just have to embrace that when you go to a foreign country or talk with someone from a foreign country, you have a new name. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. No, that's true. You just accept it. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, hey, cool. This is awesome. Um, again, you know, thank you for for just making the time to to do this. Come out and join the 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 show. Um, I guess I'll, I'll I'll you know the floor is yours. Do you want want to introduce yourself? Just like who you are, what you do. But yeah. Uh, okay. Um, My name is Jay Lund. I'm a professor of civil and environmental engineering at the University of California, Davis, where I study water problems from all over the world, particularly California. Um, And I I like to work with uh, ideas from economics and policy and management as well as traditional engineering. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, um, this is a, for, for me, like why I, reached out to you, um, like many people, uh, I think around the world. And, and I, that's like, we're, we'll get into all of that, but just around the world are curious about, um, you know, what, what do, do we need to be concerned about, uh, how much fresh water we have, uh, like the droughts coming up, I guess, specifically here in California and in other parts of the world. Um, and uh, like, you know, you, and obviously you're an expert in this uh, field, but a lot of us just hear uh, headlines about like, you know, the future of water wars and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so, so that, that's, that's, you know, a big part of why I reached out just because I've just read so much stuff. And I was like, well, what, what's actually going on here? What can we do? What's being done? What are the challenges and all that? So um, I guess, I mean, like where, where I'm curious, I guess if we just uh, kind of, can, can you give some history on just, um, I guess the beginning of, of just like, like fresh water use on a mass level and I guess any, I guess just, just what's happened since, um, you know, the population has been what, I mean, in, in America, um, we've been in the, the hundred millions for a while Obviously, I think all resources as years have gone by have been tested in terms of like how we can uh, safely uh, get what we need for in terms of the environment and everything. So can you just kind of talk a little bit about the, the progression on just how this all started and where we are now? Sure. Um, well, in, in, a, as in very broad strokes, um, people have always needed water. Yeah. And, and any human civilization has always required to, 
to make an effort to, to acquire safe, reliable water supplies, both for direct human consumption as well as sanitation, uh, aesthetics, and growing food and, and keeping livestock. Yeah. As time has grown, uh, our, our thirst has grown, so we now use more water than our ancestors did by, by quite a bit. Um, but also our technology has improved quite a bit, so it's, it's quite a lot easier. In, in modern civilizations are kind of marked by how little effort we, we have to take in order for us as individuals to have abundance amount of, amounts of relatively safe water. Yeah. So in, in Western countries, in, in the United States, Western Europe, Japan, a few other countries in the, in the world, you can go to almost any tap, you know, maybe 99% of the taps on any public water system and, and feel perfectly safe drinking water out of it. That's not true for most of the world. Yeah. Most of the world, you want to buy bottled water. And, and we're, Americans don't usually realize this until they go overseas to, to some very different place. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's in, uh, <laughs> as I was doing like just some type of research, uh, leading into this week. Um, I like, I, I just, I get, I kept like micromanaging every little thing that I, I had to do with water. Um, I, I, I was like, man, I should probably stop like singing whole albums in the shower and <laughs> just like, get, like, you know, just little things that, um, we can all do as individuals. And obviously there is a, you know, which I'm sure we'll get into like the, the water use for agricultural needs and um, uh, uh, residential and, you know, what, so, and so on. But um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a real, it's an issue that um, similar to, I guess, climate change, it's really hard to get the average person to, accept some type of like personal responsibility or even just, I guess, be aware of, of their own impact and, and how they can influence others, I guess. So anyway, you know what, before we even get into all of that, I'm actually just interested, like, um, you know, talk, just talk a little bit about yourself, just like, you know, how, how'd you get into this? Um, and, um, you know, just where you're from, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so originally I'm from, uh, the East Coast of the United States. I did my undergraduate work there. Um, and then I moved to Seattle to do graduate work and where I get master's and PhD degree and a, and a second bachelor's, which was in engineering. Mm -hmm. um, and then I moved to California to take a faculty job at the University of California, Davis, and uh, experienced abrupt climate change because I'd never lived in a, in a Mediterranean climate. Most people that have lived their lives in California don't realize how unusual California's climate is. Yeah. That we, we have a very long dry season in the summer and a short wet season, which is when we get almost all of our precipitation. So it's very unusual compared to the rest of the country. So I, I tell my students that every year California has a worse drought than most of the United States has ever seen. Mm. Because you know, from where I am back East, if you had, three or four weeks without rain, that's a drought. Whereas in the summertime here, that's normal. Yeah. And so the irrigation systems that we have here are all in a response to that, that very different climate that we have in California. Yeah. And, and so for, to, to have a real drought in California means not one month of no rain, but it means like one or two years of no rain or, or very little rain. Mm. 
mm-hmm. which is what we've had this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I guess um, uh, it's it's just interesting because obviously what what you do is very important, and I'm curious like why um, I, if we're going back to like uh, I mean, maybe it wasn't such a clear path, but going back to to high school, you you know you could have maybe wanted to be a basketball superstar or a rock star or something. What what led you to 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 choose like going down this road? Um, it was a very windy path. I, I started off as an undergraduate at the University of Delaware, um, studying international relations and then regional planning. And so I was interested in infrastructure systems, mostly for urban communities, um, transportation, housing, things like that. And then I went to graduate school in, in uh, Seattle, studying urban social geography, um, and basically became an urban sociologist or urban anthropologist for that. Um, and then uh, Ronald Reagan was elected, and it seemed clear to me at that point that uh, the United States was never going to take urban planning seriously. Mm. And so I should really become an engineer like a lot of my friends uh, from undergraduate days. Yeah. Um, and since a lot of my friends from undergraduate days that were engineers were also sailors, and I, I uh, like to go sailing, um, I just I thought when I went into civil engineering, well, maybe I should try water. Yeah. And and so um, now I work on infrastructure systems with a lot of economics and things. A lot of the things that I learned in studying urban planning, regional planning, and and urban sociology, uh, I I try to bring those uh, to uh, to water engineering. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That honestly, I I I I think I was. Um... I was thinking of very different things in high school. So <laughs> hats off to you. And um, man, I mean, I, I, and it's cool because something you said earlier, uh, you basically just personally realized that, um, you know, Ronald Reagan becoming president and understanding his policies and what that means. And, and it sounds like you, like personally, like, like you just took it upon yourself to, join that cause um, um, for, you know, in terms of uh, urban planning and any of the issues um, surrounding it. So um, it's cool. I mean, was that, is that, is that accurate? Like it, it sounded like you, you felt like compelled to really do this. Um, well, I, I was compelled by two reasons. One, one was sort of the push me out of urban planning in, in the sense out of traditional urban planning mm-hmm. that, that um, it wasn't, had not been a very effective profession. Mm-hmm. You know, as noble as a profession as it is, it has not been very effective and popular. Yeah. Whereas the engineering profession ha- has been much more so. So what I have found is that I-, I could be more effective in water management as an engineer than I could have if I'd stayed in a traditional planning field. Yeah. But that's not true for everybody, but it was certainly true for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, hey, man. Um, yeah, you're doing some uh, pretty amazing work in terms of just, uh, it's, it's, I'm a musician, so I can't, (laughs) something as, uh, I mean, you know, we have, I guess, a responsibility to entertain and, and maintain, you know, culture and arts and society and, and all that. But literally, I mean, being, having a hand in something as important as, uh, water supply, fresh water supply and, um, uh, systems that like, you know, people are part of that, uh, you know, we we just do our thing as individuals. We don't th- we're not thinking about like the larger picture that we're a part of. So it's really cool to be speaking to you. Like, I mean, you're you're seeing all this stuff from the much bigger 
um, picture. So, but but I think that's true for everybody in their lives. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can our heads are only so big, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so you can you can only see a very small part of the big picture. Right. Right. You know. So, and you can only do what you what you can think about or what you can do. So, you know, we all we all live our lives in a narrow way that that we somehow fits in a only slightly clear way into the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, man, I don't, so I don't even know where to, where to, uh, uh, begin, I guess. Um, okay. Well, well, I guess let, let's just, I, I know your focus is on California, um, in, in particular, uh, and this is a very, very vague question, but I guess if you were to give a kind of like a brief intro to just worldwide, the current, any current uh, issue with uh, fresh water supply, maybe where it's it's the worst in the moment in the world and just what's happening, maybe what are world leaders doing to address this on a global level? But I mean, you can start any, anywhere you want. Well, there's a common phrase that people say uh, that, that water is essential to life. Mm. And, and that is certainly true. But people say it probably more often than they should in the sense that it doesn't take a lot of water to be essential to life. Mm. You know, so we don't need huge abundance amounts of water to provide what we need for water ourselves. We, we only need, you know, maybe a gallon of water for four or five liters of water per day for ourselves, for drinking water. Right. And, and we'd like that to be pretty clean, you know, so we don't want to poison ourselves or contaminate that water too much. So an awful lot of the problem of human civilization has been, not acquiring water, but acquiring water that's free of contaminants so that we can safely drink it. Mm-hmm. And, and then we use additional amounts of water in cooking, for sanitation, for flushing sewers, uh, th- those kinds of uses, showers. Um, in, in the last couple hundred years or so, we've been using toilets a lot to, to flush our bodily wastes away from us. Um, and, and that is, has improved our public health by quite a bit. But it's also created downstream problems. You know, if you take a bunch of human waste, you take it away from people, and you flush it downstream, you you've moved that problem to some other place. Mm. And the, some, sometimes that other place is downstream humans, yeah. as well as downstream ecosystems. So, a, as we have developed water systems for our direct human use, our urban use uses, our irrigation, we've also created a lot of environmental problems for ourselves and and for the native plants and animals. Uh, throughout the system is that is that a um uh at the time is like is that the best option or the only option that we had at the time or is that one of the things where maybe we just kind of screwed up we didn't give it enough insight in i guess in designing things like that like waste systems and where where it's going did we have other options uh there were other options uh, and it re- and, uh, sewers uh, and, and flush toilets replaced uh privy vaults and uh, uh, you know, night soil, yeah. uh, you know, bedpans and things like that. So you know, there were other solutions before flush toilets. And certainly the people at the time thought flush toilets were just great co- compared yeah. to those alternatives, as yeah. we probably would today. Yeah. And, and so the nice thing about uh, flush toilets is it, is it concentrates all that waste in one stream in a, in a, in a contained vessel in the, in the sewer pipes, mm-hmm. the, the, the bad part of it is, is that, uh, it mixes a lot of water with that, 
that yeah. waste, and then we feel com- compelled to separate that water from the waste uh, and treat it, which causes some expense and some some other environmental problems. But uh, when when you have a you know million people producing feces every day, um, you're, you're gonna, there's no way that you're not going to have a million feces to to deal with. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we just we just got to start, you know doing our business less, you know, hold it in. <laughs> like, like what? Well, maybe we can breed ourselves to be very small. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which will not be good for basketball, but <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's tough just cause, um, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, the, the, when I, when I just think about it as an individual, like what, what do I need to do? What can I do? Um, it, it can sometimes feel like, like, uh, or not even sometimes, I think it's really easy to just be like, well, everyone else is doing this or these big corporations are, you know, uh, wasting or this or that. And um, it's hard to, I guess, uh, and, this, and this isn't just in this aspect, in many other aspects where mm-hmm. you can just be like, well, why should I if everyone else is doing this? But um, in a situation like this where, um, you know, the worst case scenario is potentially so costly, uh, you, it's like you, you, you can't afford to think about what others are, are doing near you. You kind of just got to do what you know will at least help, even if it's a small, very small percentage. And um, anyway. Um, well, I think that's true. And you said in, in, in setting a good example, you help other people do those things as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the, the power of setting an example is, is pretty important in life. Yeah. Um, you know, be it where you're, you're trying to cross the street, you see some little kids nearby. Well, maybe you wait for the crosswalk yeah. <laughs> just to set a good example for them, and it, it might save a kid's life sometime. You know, yeah, man, yeah, that, geez, that's a that's a really good example. Yeah, um, man, I mean, I, I, um, man, again, th- this is just su- it's such a broad t- uh, topic, and we're gonna get to California specifically, but I'm I'm really just curious, like. So where in the world right now is this um, uh, just a, a, a massive problem? Is, 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 this, is, is, is this basically completely in line with poverty? Is it, is it just the poorest places? A lot have, of it. Okay. A lot of it is in line with poverty. Okay. So if you want to go to parts of the world that have the worst water problems, they almost always are the poorest. Yeah. And I think that's for two reasons. One is if you're poor... You don't have a lot of money or, or time to, to devote yourselves to, to clean water. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, part of the reason that you became poor as a society was a lack of organization to become prosperous. Mm. You know, so you, you didn't have the educational system, the governmental systems, the industrial systems that, that take you know, decades and decades to develop. Those haven't developed to the point where you're wealthy enough and well-organized enough to have clean, safe, relatively reliable drinking water. Right, right. So, you know, there's billions of people that have, you know, just been born into this situation where they're in a society that's poor. They're in a society that, that hasn't been able to, you know, become organized enough to provide those kind of services or provide economic prosperity. So, right. you know, it, and it takes a long time to, to build your way out of that. If you mm-hmm. look at, at, at uh, parts of the world that were, were poor 50, a hundred or more years ago, it, you know, it, it takes some time to, as a society to develop that kind of organization. 
Yeah, and and I can imagine that, unfortunately, when that all uh, starts to take place, um, some of those poor you know nations realizing that this is a problem, and obviously there's many other problems. Um, I imagine that like the first actions in just I mean, for you know, <laughs> lack of a better term, just getting your shit together as a nation, you're probably looking at it more from a financial perspective. Like, we need to get th- these industrial aspects off the ground, and we need to, you know, just start making money. And I'm sure that, you know, in a in a place where water supply is already messed up, d- starting off with that in order to to make money. You're, I imagine that some of those places are also making their problems worse because they're just trying to you know, keep up financially and improve their industrial right. systems, right? right. So sometimes that's the case, particularly where you have a lot of urbanization mm-hmm. that's occurring. And so you take these already you know, difficult uh, urban water systems, both water supply and water sanitation systems that are already in pretty poor shape, and then you have a lot of people, you know, as you start to industrialize, you, you bring in a lot more people into mm-hmm. that urban area and you can further overwhelm that urban water system. And then you have a very um, chaotic, growing urban metropolis where you're, it's still poor, but it has, and it has so much going on that you can't really dig up the streets and, and lay down bigger sewers and bigger water supply systems and bigger treatment plants in an organized way, because you just haven't developed that far yet. We were very fortunate, I think, in this country that when we developed as as an industrial country, our densities, our population was low enough that we could undertake building these large systems before we got huge. Yeah, yeah. And so we sort of evolved into a a fairly nice way, I think, most of the Western countries have, have benefited from that sort of historical happenstance. Yeah, <coughs> man, that's a that's a, uh, a perspective I have not um, like looked at it from that. Uh, uh, other countries basically having to go backwards, um, uh, being uh, maybe you know their their populations high, their cu- culturally they're they're probably very rich too, and there's mm-hmm. like aspects you know they're, they're in terms of like their own humanity and stuff they have that figured out. But I guess um, in in today's world, having to figure out so many of these things that were, you know, like these, this is like early 20th century uh, um, or just 20th century issues in general um, for, you know, places like America, cities started getting, you know, booming in, and, um, you know, creating what we recognize today. And I guess to, to I can't even imagine, obviously we're, we're very privileged to enjoy like the the cities and transportation systems and all this stuff that we have now and to be in 2021 trying to put stuff like that on a, on a basic level together. Um, I, yeah, you know, going back to, I guess, water, I can imagine how prioritizing water when you're just trying to do all that can be, um, tough. And, and is this, is this in, um, um, like primarily, um, African countries, uh, Asian countries, like where, where is this, where I guess in the world is this uh, the the biggest issue? Well, I think every part of the world has has water problems, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 certainly what they will perceive locally as serious water problems. So you can go. We we have the case of um, of Flint, Michigan. You know, not not too long ago, where yeah. uh, the the water system screwed up. 
they weren't paying attention. Uh, and several layers of, of inspectors basically blew it and they ended up poisoning themselves. Mm. You know, so we, we have some uh, rural communities in um, the Tulare Basin outside of Bakersfield in California where they have nitrate contamination from agriculture that goes on all around them. Mm-hmm. And that same agriculture that's poisoning their water supply also is the major source of employment for the region. Yeah, yeah. And, and we haven't quite figured out down there, how do you make that very prosperous agriculture siphon off a little bit of that profit to make those drinking water supplies safe yeah. for the people that are working in that industry and, and for the people that are being affected by that, yeah. that profit-making activity. It's not a lot of money compared to the profits down there, but, but it's kind of important for the people that live there. Right. And in something like Flint, Michigan, um, I, you know, again, the, the average person heard a lot from uh, influencers on social media, uh, politicians, uh, celebrities, um, maybe even a little bit from uh, residents. So that being said, um, it sounds like you're the guy and people that, you know, do what you do are the guys that get the call before these issues happen, obviously, and I'm guessing after as well. Would would you be a part of the? Would you be a part of the team of people that would be like, well, how do we deal with this? How do we fix this? Well, well, well certainly, engineers as a profession, right, uh, are, are in that, and sometimes in different roles. They'll be working for different government agencies. Sometimes, as a university professor, you know, if, if the agencies are really are having a hard time, then they'll they'll get desperate enough to ask for a professor. To, to, to look at it. Yeah. Um, sometimes people in the media will, will come and talk to you because you're, you're not working for any one side. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's, 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 I, I never expected that to happen. I thought I would just be a normal professor teaching and writing papers. And, but it turns out, you know, people really are interested in water and water crises come up, particularly in California, you got floods and droughts, and ecosystems collapsing and all kinds of things. So, uh, and, and these water quality problems, certainly. So um, yeah, yeah. it ter- turns out that that some you know, media and, and uh, podcasters and all kinds of people are, <laughs> are looking for um, people that have developed some expertise on these problems and, and isn't, aren't necessarily working for one side. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's just, you know, again, a lot of the um, – um, actually, before I say that, I should say in response to something you said earlier – um, that's, I guess, the interesting thing about just water issues in general is, um, na- you know, ho- whole nations can be experiencing a problem that uh, Flint, Michigan has, but even in very wealthy countries like America, there's still uh, places that have like these pockets um, across the nation that can have, um, quote unquote, what maybe someone would call third world uh, right. uh, issues. But that that's what's so interesting about uh water issues is that it can, it can, it, it sounds like just poor management in a, in a local town, whether on a political level or, uh, the people who put together the, the, the systems or whatever, it can basically just impact anyone if, uh, something's yeah. not done right. Well, sometimes it's poor management. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's unlucky management. Sometimes it's, you know, someone has contaminated your water supply and, and you're really poor and small and you haven't been able to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it and it takes maybe extraordinary intelligence or political savvy to, to navigate that. Yeah. So, 
you know, I guess you have to put it in perspective. In California alone, we have about 9,000 water systems, most of which are very small. Yeah. We have about 400 water systems that have more than 3,000 customers each. Jeez. So we have, you know, a lot of, a few, a fair number of very large systems. And we have an enormous number of very small systems that are very poor and, and don't have a lot of expertise and have a lot of just different local conditions. Yeah. So you have to expect, even with very high reliability, which is what we have for the most part in California and in the United States, you're never going to have perfect reliability. Mm. You know, you, you, you go buy a new car, sometimes it'll break down. Yeah, true. You know, so if you've got 100,000 water systems, which is sort of about what we have in the United States, you're going to have a few of them behave poorly every year, sometimes by mismanagement because people are people, mm. uh, sometimes by mismanagement because people can't get along. Yeah. That sometimes happens. I know it's shocking. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes you'll have things break down just by, by outside events, yeah. contamination or, or droughts or unexpected things that people weren't prepared for. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, uh, I guess... Um you know, going to, to California, um, obviously some of the, 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 the drought issues and, uh, water issues, uh, it, it kind of seems like, um, uh, just the way that the climate is here naturally, you know, it being dry, being a desert that obviously already presents some challenges. Um, but I guess, uh, well, you know, where, where do we start with, 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 um, uh, California, uh, what what is the the um, the origin of like this specific awareness of California's uh, water issues? Like how did how did this all start? That's a great question. That's really a great question. So <laughs> so most people that live in California, either we in my case or, or or many other people, your listeners that you have in California, their their ancestors came to California from someplace else. Right. And, and when you read the history of California, you read the history of these people that came from the East Coast, where it rained in the summer. They never had to do it. Have, they never saw an irrigation system in their life because all the agriculture was was fed by rain. Mm. Uh, they had floods in the summer or in the fall from hurricanes, and then they came to California, and it was completely dry all during the agricultural growing season. Wow. And they had these huge floods during the winter. Mm. When, at least in New England, parts most of back east, it would have been frozen. You didn't have floods most of the time. Right. And, and so the history of Californians and, and California water is begins as a history of people who are exposed to abrupt climate change because they moved to a new climate. Mm, right. And they had to figure it out. They'd never seen an irrigation district. They'd never seen an irrigation system. They, they were used to a completely different climate. Their cities got water either from local wells or from nearby rivers. They never had to build a big aqueduct system in most cases. Right. A uh, couple of exceptions to that, New York City being one, but yeah. um, it, it was a it was a civilization that moved from one place to another and had to rebuild itself, had to create new kinds of water law, new kinds of institutions, new kinds of law, in order to 
finance and build and and make sure that these things actually work. Right, and and I I guess I can imagine, uh, or I'm guessing that um, a lot of these people that move the west, um, I'm a large portion of these people are are coming from um, uh, you know our English descent and and uh, I'm. I'm pretty sure California in just like the desert is probably the polar opposite of um, what would, you know, England climate, England weather. So it just, there's this like, I'm, it's, I'm guessing that, that, you know, walking into that area and seeing how different it is. I mean, it, it, yeah, like you said, it, it must force you to just figure it out if it's just uh, completely fundamentally different than anything you've ever experienced, whether back in Europe or on the East Coast. Yeah, and I think that was the case. It was basically a whole bunch of people moving to a foreign land, climatologically. Yeah. And and they were poor. I mean, you have to understand, by our standards today, they were desperately poor. They were were well-off. You know, globally at that time, but by our conditions today, they were very poor and very un- unorganized, mm-hmm. and they had to really, you know, start from scratch in doing all of this. Yeah, and so it's it's kind of a remarkable story of of what people can do uh, when they feel they have to, and and when they feel that they can. I think that was part of it. Um, but even then, it took maybe seventy years or so from you know eighteen forty nine until the late 1800s, certainly, yeah. uh, early 1900s, before we started to really build big aqueducts and reservoirs and things like that that we take for granted today. Mm-hmm. So I guess, um, you know, uh, uh, bringing it, I guess, to current times, uh, obviously, um, it's this, and th- this is also what makes this interesting, is that like problems in this are relative to population. It's relative to other things um you know right. uh, like would would it be a drought if there were only one person here right so it's like <laughs> yeah. you know so that's, so, that's right that's yeah right. you that's know certainly so, true. so all the problems are just relative to like how we are progressing as society in many different ways so um i guess uh you know what what can you with with uh with population that again i don't even know where where to to start with that but like you said earlier technology is getting better as as well, so um, it seems obvious. Like there's just not enough to go around. But with detail, though, why? What specifically makes population growth uh, makes all this so so difficult? Well, for a long time, we we had uh, an idea, and I think it was true back then that as population grew, you had to develop more and more water supply. You know, so we had. You know, back, way back when we had seven gallon per flush toilets, and now we're down to 1.6 gallon per flush toilets. Huge di- changes in technology. But we also had industries that were very water dependent, you know, industri- heavy industries that used a lot of water, and, and agriculture, which always will use a lot of water, but, mm-hmm. but used even more back then. What's happened today is that most of our industries are really pretty water efficient. So per dollar of gross domestic product, we use very little water now in most sectors, except for agriculture. Mm. So today we have 40 million people in California. 
maybe 97% of those people are not employed in agriculture. So only 3% are employed in agriculture. Back in the 1930s, maybe a third of them were employed in agriculture. Hmm. So we've moved to an economy which is much less dependent on water for the most part, mostly because industries use much less water per dollar of goods and services produced. And agriculture has shrunk as a proportion of the total economy. Mm -hmm. And so one of the really nice things, probably the nicest thing about droughts in California today compared to the 1930s is our economy doesn't depend on water nearly as much as it did then. We had, during 2015, during the last drought, we had a mandatory 25% reduction in urban water use. Mm. How did people meet that? Jeez. Did we, did, we, did we go to downtown and say, okay, 25% of the buildings, we're going to randomly select 25% of the buildings and make them shut down. And we're going to make 25% of the people in Los Angeles move away. We didn't do that. Yeah. We said, you have to conserve 25%. And people mostly conserved by reducing their lawn watering. Right, right. About 50% of urban water use in California today is still for landscape irrigation, having green lawns. Does green lawns really, is that really important for the prosperity of our economy for most of us? It, mm. it is if you're a landscaper. Yeah. It, it is if you work in the landscaping se sector of the economy, but that's a very small sector of the economy. And during that drought, many of those people in that landscaping industry, which was really stressed by the lack of water, was also re-landscaping urban landscapes, taking out highly water-using plants and putting in low-water-using plants. Mm. And so they didn't seem to see a very big employment change. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and maybe this is more of like a philosophical observation, but with uh, just how we are as a country and our, like definitely our business uh, and, uh, you know, economic um, approach to things, just maximizing everything, trying to make as much uh, money as possible. And I, I know that you have, um, uh, you know, in your background, you have an economic perspective on all this too. So what is it is, is and, I, and I'm curious, is that, um, you know, Americanness that we just have of just trying to make everything as grand as, as possible, making as much money as possible? Like, I'm, I'm sure that when, in anything in this country, telling telling people to scale back on anything in this country is incredibly difficult when we kind of, it's built into our culture to just like, you know, maximize just everything, you know? That, that, that's true. Um, but we also have, relative to most other parts of the world, most other countries in the world, I think, much more of a civic spirit. Mm. Well, maybe it's, maybe that's disappeared in the last decade, but... <laughs> But uh, or or been suppressed a little bit during the last decade. But it was a really big surprise to people during the the first big drought of the modern era, essentially the the 1976-77 drought, where um, 
we had a, it was the driest year on record still. Mm-hmm. And they had this big drought right after they all, all the big water systems had been built. So the state water project had been built, the Central Valley project, all the big aqueducts and reservoirs were built. And this, this really dry couple of wet years came in and many of the wealthiest communities in the Bay Area found that they didn't have nearly enough water yeah. for that year. And they, they were going to require everyone to reduce water by about 30%. And so they all got on the, the newspaper and the radio and TV and said, well, we're in a terrible drought. We're going to have to make you l- use less water. We really regret it. Everybody thought they, that the water officials would be fired because they were forcing people to conserve. And, and what happened? People went out of their way to, to conserve because it was a good it was what good citizens did. Yeah. And they conserved maybe 40 or 50% mm-hmm. more than what they were asked. Yeah. And so I, that you see that a lot in droughts where people want to be good people. You know, people want to be good citizens. And so you, you know, you see that there's a drought. You have, uh, and there's a need that you can understand for us all to save water. And, and, not everybody does, but most people clearly do. Mm-hmm. do you, this is uh, it's it's because well, now with with what you're saying, um, it's it's just as we learned with the pandemic and and you know nothing is off limits when it comes to to politics. So I, I'm curious, like, um, is this similar at all uh, to um, climate change in the sense that are, are there people that just like can look at something like this and, and, and literally just deny that it is, that's an issue. Like, Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. There are always such people where, where I think the water industry tries really hard to, to preserve its trust. Right. They try very hard not to cry wolf, um, not to ask for more water conservation than than they feel they really need. Because if you really need to have that conservation, you want people to believe you. Yeah. And, and everybody benefits from that kind of civic mindedness. Mm-hmm. But there's always, there's always politicians out there seek, seeking to na- make a name for themselves by, you know, cultivating uh, these kinds of, you know, bad thoughts. Yeah. Um, or yeah. fears, I guess, that people have. Yeah. So, so um, I'm, I'm, you know, and I guess speaking of climate change, um, how, how does what you do, um, does it overlap at all with with uh, climate change or any of you know these oh, like sure. other a- issues in nature? Yeah, I guess you know talk talk oh, about sure. that as much as you want. I, I'm interested I mean, in that. The, I mean, clearly the water water services mm-hmm. are are really tightly connected to climate. Yeah. If there's less water, less precipitation, or the the snowpack is not there, if the precipitation falls as rain rather than snow, it doesn't stick around as long. Or, or uh, you know, runs off in the in the winter rather than the spring when you're when you'd much prefer to have it. Um, that that's going to affect your your operation of your system downstream. Yeah. So we're going to see some. We are already seeing effects of climate change, uh, without a doubt, mm-hmm. in the water system as well as in wildfires, um, and in many other ways. So uh, we're going to have to adjust to climate change. I think California, you know, relative to most of the rest of the country, is in pretty good shape organizationally for climate change because we 
we have these well-organized irrigation districts, water districts. We have this pretty well-organized water infrastructure. It, it'll affect us and it'll, it'll harm us some, but it's not going to be like you were a farmer of corn in Iowa that depends on the rain right. for, for, for all your irrigation water. You know, for those groups, if they find that climate change means they're going to have to build irrigation systems, they're going to have to start from scratch. Yeah. Jeez. Um, yeah, I, that, that's, uh, man, that, that's, it's crazy to even think of it. And, and again, I mean, for me, at least, you know, obviously you have years of experience uh, that you can pull this from. And I'm, I, I'm just thinking of like headlines and stuff that I, I've seen and, um, uh, man, I mean, I, I guess before I get to any like the, the bigger stuff, can you, uh, I, I, again, like we said earlier, uh, nothing, no industry is immune to politics. Um, so I guess, can you talk about maybe like, maybe some things you're experiencing now or just throughout your career, uh, just maybe frustrations that you've had where, um, uh, you and people in your field knowing what's best or having a good idea of what needs to be done and that not being in line with like the politics in, in the moment. How often does that happen? But if you, you can give any examples of, of that throughout your career. Well, I, I think the first thing you have to get used to is that it's only political because it's important. Mm. Right. So mm. it, it's only important because it, it affects people's lives and it, there's a lot of money involved, mm. directly or indirectly. And, you know, if you can be in any situation that has more than one person where issues of life, death, and prosperity and health uh, don't, don't become political, uh, you know, I'm, be, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. It's just because pe people are that way. They, they all want to make sure that, that they're, they're well off before other people are well off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that, that's just natural. Yeah, what what you have to hope for and and try to develop, I think, as a society is a is a culture of that has more civic mindedness. You know, at least a base of civic mindedness. And you know, I I think part of what we're trying to do, we hopefully we're trying to do in this country these days, is try to broaden that civic mindedness from a sort of a traditional upper and upper middle class view of it, which is very much what existed during the revolutionary days, you know, yeah. going back a couple hundred years to, to being quite a bit broader base to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and certainly in California, we, 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 we're trying to expand civic mindedness. So it not only includes, includes people that are citizens, but even undocumented residents. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that's a noble pursuit and, and we will attain it imperfectly, but the whole, the whole country is over time staggering slowly in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, again, it's just, it's just one of those big issues that, um, as an individual, you're just like, well, damn, you know, what, what do, what do I do? What's my part in this? And, um, I guess, and it's even confusing, like who, who do I vote for to handle these well, things? That's, but that's the most important thing, you know, is, yeah. is, you know, don't, don't waste water in yeah. California. It's just it's things you can do. Uh, don't, uh, you know, throw things down the toilet that shouldn't be thrown down the toilet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, don't use a lot of pesticides on your lawn. Yeah. <laughs> don't overwater your lawn, um, and vote. Yeah. Right, because because what the whole system relies on is some accountability, 
And the ultimate accountability in our system in California is people reading newspapers and voting. Yeah. Yeah. People paying attention and voting. <laughs> and it's it's hard to it's but it, and it's uh, and I I I don't know the answer to this question. So I ask like, has it is is there any uh, of the the two major political parties that like has prioritized this as an issue more or less? And because it, it and I ask that just because it's one of the issues where it's like. Uh, you know, how, I mean, not having enough fresh water for everyone impacts everyone in society. So why would one side want it to want this issue to be solved more or less than the other? But, but yeah, what, 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 what's that answer to that? So, you know, there, I, you know, there's a really clear issue that everybody will be in rhetorical agreement that everyone should have adequate amounts of safe drinking water. Mm. There, you won't find anyone, probably anybody in the, in the state. Um, okay, maybe you will find a few, but not, <laughs> not a large number of people will disagree with that idea. Now, you get to the question, okay, who should pay for it? Right. Should that be paid for by the general fund for the state of California budget, the same, same fund that pays for public education? Should we treat it more like um, we have special funds for telephones and electricity, where if you, when you pay your water bill or your um, telecommunications bill, there's a small fee on that that goes to subsidize people that are too poor to have enough to, to be able to pay for their electricity bill or, or their telephone bill. So there's some subsidies there. And, and there's some subsidies sometimes at different times in history to also fund rural electrification mm -hmm. at a time when it was it was basically uneconomical for people living in rural areas to pay for the electrification of of those areas so the the real controversies come as on who should pay for it and the real tragedy is during that time that we're arguing about who should pay for it people aren't getting those kind of services yeah jeez um yeah, it's because it's it's uh, um, and that that's got to be so frustrating. Just because when you look at anything from a system, it points out <laughs> like the 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 flaws in in human systems and human nature so quickly. And though it it, it, it like you, it, it takes ten seconds to kind of just think and be like, okay, well, we have seven billion plus people. We're growing uh, every single day. So that just means that if everyone is trying to live the dream, like at some point things just come crashing down if we're not thinking of each other as like as a unit, as like this, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and, and you, you, you said this earlier too, um, um, just trying to, to, I mean, obviously that's a struggle in this country at the moment, but just worldwide, like, uh, you know, now it sounds like, like I'm, uh, um, um, you know, reading a fairy tale, which it shouldn't, but like just unification in the sense that like, Hey, you know, we might not even all like each other. We might not even, you know, like our neighbor, but this is something we need to do together for like everyone's best interest. And I guess in, in this situation, can, are, are there things that like global leaders just generally agree on? Are there plans for, for this stuff? Like what's, what's going on? Well, you, you have to get to some point where you get 
people that you, you, you can't build these systems on the backs of poor people. Mm. I mean, first of all, there's not enough money there. And second of all, they're, they're, they're usually not able to, to give up a lot of money to do this because they're pretty poor. So you sort of have to build it on the backs of middle class and richer people because mm-hmm. they've got the money. And, and in a lot of cases, they have the expertise, particularly the expertise on how to get organized and do these things. Yeah. So just, just to how they were born into life, mostly. Yeah. So you, you really have to leverage it that, that way. And you have to get to a point where the richer parts of the society say, realize, you know, it, in some sense, it's not fair for me to pay extra for this. But, you know, in the longer term, me and my ancestors are going to be better off because of it. You know, so if we had sort of no good water systems and no good fire control systems and police systems and the like, everybody's poorer off. Right. You go to countries that don't have good water systems the chances are that your, you know, your ancestors are more likely to become poor. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> you know, because you, you don't have any control over what happens to your ancestors in many ways. You know, if you've ever had kids, you realize there's only a limited things you can do for them. Yeah. And then after that, it's, it's, there's a bunch of randomness in life. And, and so for their future well-being, you want the whole society to be better off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, I, I, I can't say surprised or, or surprising. It is just bizarre that even that, just um, wanting things to be better off as a whole or something like, you know, like it's just something like that being controversial to someone. And I'm sure it is yeah. out there, like to, to someone, very small population. But, but it's like, man, like what, what can we agree on as a whole, you know? Well, we, you know, we've agreed on quite a lot. You know, we have uh, building codes for fire, yeah. For structural safety, you know, you, you don't think too much about walking into gener- uh, any any building in California and assume it's not going to fall down on top of you. Yeah. And why is that? Because we have a very elaborate system of building codes and building inspectors that are pretty effective and, and construction people that are pretty competent, in part because there are building codes and in building inspectors. Right. So you have you've built this sort of virtuous cycle yeah. within an industry. So that, you know, when when you start your car and, and it goes, you're you're pretty sure that that gasoline and your gasoline tank isn't going to explode yeah. and blow you away. That the building that you walk into is is not going to collapse on top of you. That the water that you drink from out of a tap of some random building that you walk into is not going to poison you. Yeah, you sort of have to build these virtuous cycles that that have some accountability, but also have sort of the public spiritedness so that you can trust the inspectors mm. or trust enough of the inspectors that it actually works. Yeah, man, I, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, just, it's the little, little very little major things that you just don't, I, I'll speak for myself, like I don't, um, uh, you know, really think about like walking to a building and like the, the, the integrity of that building and the water and everything like around me, um, yeah, I mean, that, See, when that, you study civil engineering, you think of all these things yeah. that could go wrong. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> amazing. Think, gosh, it's really pretty amazing that they don't happen that often, at least in some countries. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's even like, like sometimes I'll just be like, <laughs> just like driving on the highway and I'll just be like, man, whoever came up with this? <laughs> yeah, that's a, right. Yeah. Just super, that's, that's, that's insane. Um, my, my, my highways would just have like pileups everywhere. Cause I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how, you know, you can well, do that. And, 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 and you, you're, I'm sure you understand that to get to where we are today, we had a lot of pileups. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, and, wow. and, and so you look at the history of California's water system, it's this history of failures. Yeah. It's history of failures. And then what did we learn from those failures and making incremental improvements and sometimes more than incremental improvement after each failure? Yeah. I, I read a really neat um, article on aircraft safety the other, the other week. And it was noting that since two, the year 2009, there have not been any fatal commercial airline crashes in the whole of the United States. Wow. You know, think of the hundreds of thousands of, of aircraft, you know, flights that there have been yeah. in that period. And not to have any fatal crash. That's a phenomenal level of safety. Yeah. Is it perfect safety? I, I wouldn't say so. But but how did how did the aircraft industry go from you know back in the 30s or so very frequent fatal crashes even in the 60s and 70s when I was growing up quite a few fatal crashes where you'd lose 300 people per crash and we haven't had any of those in you know essentially 30 years yeah that that's phenomenal so how do you get people to organize themselves people working for different aircraft production companies different government regulators, different airlines, different aircraft mechanics unions, all those people have to figure out a way to work together to accomplish that kind of a phenomenal level of safety. Right. Man, that's, it's, uh, yeah, you know, just uh, doing, just again, just doing your thing as an individual. Um, I mean, it would be, it would be, it would be overwhelming to look at everything and realize like what went into it just on, on any level. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my, you know, uh, wall right now, like what went into making the paint for the wall and the wall itself and like the frame for the art on, you know, just, just everything. It's, it's overwhelming when you think about all that. You can look at the paint on that wall and the mistakes, the failures we had in paint manufacturing, you know, think of, of the the poor communities that we still have or poor housing we still have in some parts of the country that have lead paint that poisons children. Mm. Yeah. Far bigger than, than, than the lead, lead in pipes problem that we have in a few places. Yeah. And I'm from Uh, uh, Baltimore, uh, by the way. Oh, okay. Yes, I, (laughs) I do. Lead is a, I mean like every, you know, Every com- every time there's a commercial break, I mean, every other one, there's like a if you or someone you know has had lead poisoning or a- asbestos or any of this stuff, like in any way, call this number. And uh, yeah, so yeah. you know, anyway, don't don't even get me started on on that one. Uh, yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's you'll you'll understand this very well then. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, qu- uh, qu- question for you because I know, um, uh, you know, the the pandemic basically. It, it, I'm not sure there is whether, you know, in crazy ways, things uh, were booming for some industries, things uh, obviously in most industries were hit negatively, but I'm not sure there is anything that just was not hit at all. So my question for you is, 
uh, with the work that you do, with the problems that we're facing, what did, what did the pandemic do to alter any of this? Whether the trajectory of, of you know, facing this stuff, like what, how did it change? Well, I mean, certainly we, we've seen a huge surge in moving all of our meetings to, to Zoom. Yeah. Right. You, you, we're seeing this right now. So uh, I think in the way we do business, it's going to change a lot. Mm. It's a lot easier to get experts from all over the world to talk together virtually yeah. than, than it has ever been. So we have some positive things that have come out of it. Early in the pandemic, there were a lot of, of I think, very sincere and important worries about, okay, we, we have this pandemic coming through. How are we going to continue to deliver water? Uh, we have these these water tr- water treatment plants where we want to treat the water to make sure the water is safe for everybody. Mm. But people have to work in these plants and some of them are going to have coronavirus. How do we keep, keep from having a pandemic within our, our crew of experts that maintain and operate those drinking water treatment plants Yeah, and the pumping plants and, and the pipes and everything. So they had to go through some very serious thinking about how, how do you change your personnel procedures uh, to, to lessen the risk that you are going to have a disease outbreak among the people you depend upon to keep the freshwater drinking water system going. Yeah. They had a, there was a case where for the, the big uh, desal plant for San Diego, uh, they, they took all of the peop- a group of the people um, that ran that plant and they said, we're going to isolate them. We're going to build a bubble around them. We'll deliver food to them, but we're get, they're going to live together for us. And I'm not sure if they're still doing I don't think they're still doing it. Mm. But, but for at least for a period of weeks, they were isolated in a bubble. I, I thought it was really remarkable uh, type of disaster, this pandemic, in that very few water systems had a pandemic plan. You know, they'll all mm. have a drought plan. They'll all have a flood plan. They'll all have an electricity outage plan. They'll all have a gas explosion or chlorine disinfection spill, disinfected spill plan. But I don't think any of them, you know, I don't think half of them had a pandemic plan. And they all, they sort of worked it out because they're sort of, as organizations, they're used to thinking about, gosh, what do we do if something goes wrong? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's such a good point in that, um, there's never, though I may take it for granted when I just, you know, go to my sink and, and I need to pour something in or whatever. Um, there's never an off day, I guess, in that regard that like, I mean, <laughs> you can't have there, you know, there's just fields like you can't have bad days. Like what does a bad day mean for a water plant? Like what poisoning people? I mean, you know, yeah, so th- that, yeah, you, <laughs> you don't want to be personally or or in any way responsible for those kinds of things. Yeah. But you, you must see it as a musician. I imagine when you, you go to, to a, to a gig, your job, you know, depending upon your instrument, there's probably lots of different bad things that can happen to your instrument. Oh, one. <laughs> yeah. So right, right. I, and, and you'll have, you know, like extra parts or maybe extra instruments yeah. that you carry, carry along exactly. just for those occasions. Yeah. Yeah. I play so the, the yeah, I play, I play the tuba and, um, uh, I think all wind instrument or just, I guess all yeah, instruments, so but the tuba, you don't carry an, a spare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's one of those situations where it's like, well, if something's wrong and especially with wind instruments, um, 
and I'm sure to all instruments to a degree, but like your 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 the airstream and everything, like you figured it out for your specific instrument and just like the feel of it all. And um, yeah, no, it's just one of those things like you just can't. And, and even in the performance itself, uh, you know, because pe people, people, um, uh, I guess similar to, to water, um, um, people, when they seek music, only, only want good music. <laughs> like, right, right. You right. know, so there's That's just, right. there's you never. You don't want to drink bad water, you don't want to hear Exactly, bad exactly. So <laughs> it's not, not as costly as it would right. be to have a right. bad day. But yes, I mean, for the individual, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you're, you're booted just because you just can't have bad days. And, um, and you don't want to get a reputation for having bad days. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, so with, uh, I'm trying to think of like things that are, are, are kind of pressing right now in California, things, you know, issues that are coming up. Um, I don't, uh, like, it's hard for me to, to uh, correlate the two. I'm sure you can, but like with, you know, anticipation of a uh, uh, crazy drought, you know, uh, um, uh, on the horizon, and I guess it's already uh, happening. Um, what? How does that impact what what you're doing? Uh, what 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 are you? I guess and and in, in your field of of people doing to prepare for something like this? Um, yeah, yeah, the floor is yours. Yeah, so I I, I tell my students that um, when you work in the water field. Um, it's a, there's a saying in the military I've heard that that uh, life in the military is is 99% boredom and and one percent you know complete panic fear mm. you know yeah and, and so what you're in some, to some degree the water business is the same way where you spend most of your career trying to understand problems that could occur and trying to make sure that you're prepared to either prevent them from happening or prepared so that if they happen, you're ready. Yeah. And, and the other thing I think to understand is when those failures occur, when those problems occur, that's an opportunity to get people that for, for while well, people are paying attention to those failures to tell them, Oh, we know that you don't think about water very much. And we're very happy that you don't think about water very much because that means we're doing our job. Yeah. But because we have a drought, because we have a flood, because we have these, you've seen a problem in the news at some other place, hopefully. Uh, now that, that you're paying attention to the water, these are some things we would like you to do in terms of paying taxes or, or changing the laws or whatever to, to, to avert problems in the future that we're likely to have with water. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so droughts are very, have a very useful function. I, I sometimes think that if I were to go back in history and compare the costs of individual droughts that we've had throughout history and compare that to the benefit we've had after the drought to improve, from improved water management, mm. that many droughts, I think, have a net positive impact on our water systems. Yeah. Oh, man. I, that, that's, now, that is definitely a perspective I have not heard uh, yet in that, um, there, there's something so biblical about the word drought. You just see like, like if you don't know any of this stuff from like a, a scientific or factual point of view, you just hear the word drought and you freak out. So, you know, it used to be, if you went, you know, 300 years ago, drought would, would, uh, kill your agriculture and it would kill people. 
right? Yeah. Just because of thirst or bad water quality or starvation. Hmm. You know, so drought would cause, fat, cause famine and pestilence almost all the time. Today, we have the, these big droughts in California. How many people died from the drought? Right. None, really. Yeah. We, we, and, and the loss to the whole economy was far less than 1%. You know, maybe 0.1% of, of the state economy. So small, you couldn't, you couldn't detect from the, just from the, you know, the, the, the variability of the economic productivity in the state. So mm-hmm. we, we've, you know, there, there are some sectors where nobody died, but they, they saw bigger economic impacts, certainly in agriculture in some small towns yeah. that are depending on agriculture. They certainly saw it. And, and certainly native ecosystems saw big problems and the wildfires caused big problems. But the traditional things we worried about, we've actually, over a series of droughts, we've gotten better and yeah. will continue to get a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. So, so as long as you pay attention to it. Yeah, right. So, so what should a? Um, I mean, because obviously they're publishing these articles um, for the everyday person to read. So when we see, I mean, just as a average person, uh, see like a drought is 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 coming. I mean, like what 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 should we even be thinking in terms of like what to do about it? What how to react to it? What 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 do we yeah. need need to know? Use less water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's and, pretty. And, 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 and encourage the water, the, you know, the politicians and the, and the people that manage water to, to, to talk to you mm-hmm. about when they think they're going to need you to, to conserve more yeah. uh, or encourage them to talk about what improvements, what new investments or improvements are needed in the water system, both for the current drought and to make future droughts. Yeah less burdensome yeah um and if you if you if you create a virtuous cycle out of it mm -hmm. right uh, then things get better and that's that's largely what we've done in water we still have water problems we will always have water problems but we want to have better problems than the problems we have now yeah absolutely um so i i kind of wanted to to save this to you know i guess towards the end just because um it it sounds so like video gameish to me that like I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if there's some truth to it, but the whole um, so I guess what uh, three weeks ago maybe a month now uh, Kamala um, like there was a, a clip that went pretty viral of her saying that um, long story short her basically just saying that like war conflict uh, over oh. water is um, uh, inevitable to some degree. Can you speak on, on that at all? Um, I think that's true. There's that, that conflict will occur over water. We certainly see it in, in California. Mm. Um, in, in the drought and, and, and for water management in general. But we don't see war, right? We don't see actual violent, actual violent, interactions is is almost never occurs because we're a civilized place yeah Yeah. we we found that there are better ways for the well-being and health of people in the society overall and individually not to go to war over water yeah (laughs) and scholars that have studied this over history over the whole globe find the same thing people almost never go to war over water now when they do go to war they're going to mention water 
but they're usually going to war over other things like politics, land, yeah. money, things like that, power, yeah. but usually not water. Usually water, wa- water is a really nice resource in the sense that if you manage it well, you don't need to fight over it. Mm. If people are fighting over water, they're usually pretty poor and desperate. Yeah, yeah. And and that's that means you've you've had a whole bunch of other failures as a society mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. before getting there. He's not not to say anything about the individuals that are involved in those conflicts because they're just they just have found themselves in this society that isn't working well for them. Yeah, yeah. And I I can I I can I'm I'm like I can see how um, with the recent like just themes in society of recent reasons why we have gone to war for things like oil. And then if for, you know, someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about, you, you know, so you see what we've done over oil and then you kind of just throw water into that same conversation. So, so I I did the calculation once Um, in California, you know, pretty expensive water is about $500 an acre foot. Mm. Um, and if if you took a say the oil at a hundred dollars a barrel, which is a little bit high for a little bit higher than what it is today, um, that works out to be about seven hundred thousand dollars per acre foot. Wow! So wow. basically, oil is about a thousand times more valuable. <laughs> Yeah. than water. Yeah. And and you know just like people are more likely to fight over a diamond than over water. You know, the same, you know, mass of water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why people fight over oil because it's worth a lot more. <laughs> so, I mean, then then I mean, is that so that's just like what what is um what, what is worst case scenario with with water? I, like, you know, it, yeah. Well, the worst case scenario is really bad, right? It but, you know, going back to what I said about what really, what's really good about water is if you manage it well, mm-hmm. you don't have to fight over it violently, at mm-hmm. least. You'll, you'll, you'll have disputes, but there's no societal need to have violent, violence over it. If you get to a point where you're fighting over water, what that means is your society is really decayed in a lot of other more important ways. Mm. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, and, and so the biggest threat to... to to water management in, in most of the United States, I mm. would say, I would think is, you know, the full, if you want to think about the worst cases, if your social institutions decay to that degree. Yeah. Because that means your fire, your, your water systems, your fire systems, your police systems, um, everything else, your banking system, everything else is probably already yeah. in pretty bad shape. Yeah, I, I know this, it, it doesn't really have anything to, uh, do with with what we're talking about. Maybe it does, but it just it just reminds me of uh, like the very very recent stories in like the past couple of days of uh, the. Um, I guess it's, it's I guess it's similar to the economy. It's like if people think it's going to crash, then that's like part of why it may crash. Right. And right. uh, with um, oil, um, <laughs> recently on the East Coast, I guess there 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 was an actual gas shortage created from the belief <laughs> there was one coming. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, we saw that with toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic, yeah. right? Everybody thought, oh, there's a pandemic. There's going to be a shortage of toilet paper. And, yeah. and lo and behold, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's it's just like it, it's 
it's interesting what I, I, I wonder if um, misinformation could ever impact water that deeply. Do, do you think so? Like oh, this, sure. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the if you go back to the 1960s, there was an old, the old uh, sort of revolutionaries from the 1960s. They had these handbooks on, on how to disrupt things. And one of the easiest ways to, to, to disrupt a, uh, you know, a big public, public facility like an airport is, is to send a bunch of people into toilets and everybody flush at the same time. Wow. You know, you know, you you know, imagine if you told every, if if everybody in LA decided, okay, (laughs) I'm going to go flush my toilet at the same time and turn on all my irrigation sprinkler systems, you know, you would lower the water pressure in the entire system so far that it, it would cause contamination problems in a few places in the city. And it it would, it would make it harder to fight fires if they occurred. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, you know. It, again, the, the public water systems rely on this sense of civic mindedness to the point where, you know, we're not going to do really bad things to ourselves yeah. by hurting this water system. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I can, um, so much of, of what you're saying now, I, I, I feel like I understand the frame of mind a lot more in the sense like I, you, you'd said earlier that um, if we're doing our jobs well, um, people, you know, don't really <laughs> know we exist in a in a in a way, and right. uh, it's actually really similar to uh, the tuba's role in orchestra. <laughs> in the <laughs> yeah, like in the Your sense, infrastructure. like infrastructure. Yeah, you never thought of yourself as infrastructure. I, absolutely. Yeah, I I never have until now, but just like <laughs> it's also just one of those things where it's like you know, you, 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 there's like dozens and dozens of strings, yeah. and there's multiple of this. There's only one tuba, and in a lot of scenarios, it's like. You're, when we're doing really, really well, it's probably because we're blending in so mm-hmm. well with what's going on that like, it's like, okay, great. But, but you know, when we, we just screw up even a little bit, it's super, super obvious. So I can, I, sir, I can relate <laughs> to, to that in a, in a, in a musical way, I guess. So yeah, that, that's right. I mean, that, that's, that's civilization, yeah. you know, where we don't have to worry about the fundamentals of every little thing. Yeah. We, yeah. we can focus on our responsibility and then pay some attention to the larger picture, you know, reading the newspapers, voting, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess to, to, and like you kind of just uh, started a little bit there, but I guess to, to, um, to close this out, um, what, I, what, what should just in, in layman's terms, for the average person, uh, the individual, uh, what what should we know right now, and and just what can we do? Um, I think for the average person, try to use less water. Mm-hmm. Um, as this drought in California matures, develops, it's likely that we will be asked formally to use less water, and maybe even required to use less water. But I think beyond that, also you know, be a good citizen, you know, just pay attention to, to the news, think about it and, and vote. Yeah. 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 Seems, seems pretty, seems pretty clear cut. That's that's the, I mean, it's a secret, it's a secret formula for success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. I, um, uh, you know, I'm the, the, this has been awesome, uh, for me. I'm, I'm like really not much of the, uh, 
the like Google and research type. I just enjoy having conversation with people who really know what they're talking about. And you, you've brought this stuff to life in a way that like, you know, just researching it, which, you know, thank God you did all that work. But, you know, researching it for someone like the me. people is, of California have paid me for decades <laughs> yeah. to, to do this. Yeah, exactly. So I, I feel like I, I should you know, doing these kinds of things to give back. Yeah. Yeah. And this is great because I, you know, it's, it's going to be impossible to listen to this and not know exactly how you should just be processing all this information as you know, everyday citizen. So, um, Ben, thank you. Like, thank you for, for doing this. We appreciate your time. And um, to everyone listening, thank you. Uh, this is uh, a song called Life, and we're out. Peace. Thank you very much. Thank you.